Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, Georgia as a program has a lot of rivals, and I think one of the things a lot of UGA fans have enjoyed is having a coach like Kirby Smart, Georgia alumnus, someone who has a little bit of appreciation for the history of the program and the fact that Smart seemingly has taken these rivalry games pretty seriously. He's had a little bit of a kind of a good-natured feud with some of the other coaches on the other side of these Georgia rivalries, and clearly those teams and those coaches t- seem to get Smart's best, and Georgia fans, it's just kind of nice to have a coach that cares about your rivalries and goes out there and wants to win those games as bad as you do. Now, the byproduct of that is when you've got a coach that's as competitive as Smart is, when you've got a program that's been as successful as Georgia has been, that's not always great news for those rival coaches and those other programs. In fact, a lot of those guys who've gone head-to-head and battle with Smart over the years They've just found themselves on the chopping block. They found themselves on the unemployment line. I mean, take, for instance, a program like Tennessee. Since Kirby's been at Georgia, think about how many different coaches Tennessee has cycled through. You know, Butch Jones and then Jeremy Pruitt and now kind of settling on Josh Heupel. But that's been kind of par for the course a lot where programs that think of themselves as trying to get the best of Georgia, coaches that like to be where Kirby Smart has been, bumping up against Kirby, bumping up against UGA enough, that's not been so great for the job market around the state of Georgia. In fact, last year we saw probably, not probably, the program we think that is the biggest rival to Georgia of all and the team that had a coach that had a little bit of a personal rivalry, it seemed, with Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, he lost his job. Uh, you know, the Florida program kind of imploded. Uh, another bad loss to Georgia at the center of all of that. And shortly after that, Dan Mullen was out. And when Mullen did get fired, Kirby Smart, who had the chance to spike the football and talk about, you know, all the things that, that he had done at Georgia, what Mullen didn't do at Florida, for the most part, once Mullen was fired, even though he'd kind of taken some jabs at him prior to that, once Mullen was actually fired, Smart for the most part, kind of took the high road on all of that. This is what Smart said about Dan Mullen, the nature of college coaching after Mullen was fired uh, last November. Take a listen to this. I think the landscape across college football is what it is. Um, the stakes have gotten higher. The, the pay has gotten higher. And with that comes expectations. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different landscape now than it was even four or five years ago in terms of uh, portal, uh, recruiting, um, number of initials, everything changes so fast. Um, and so it makes it, makes it tougher and, uh, it's, it's a much tougher job. And I think you've seen a lot of people in our, uh, level go to the next level because it has a little less uh, strain uh, on your family and things. So I know it's a tough atmosphere, but most people would say they pay you so much, it doesn't matter. Um, but at the end of the day, I hate it for Dan because I think Dan's a good person and uh, and it's a tough situation. But it's a profession we chose to be in, and I know Dan will be fine. He'll be perfectly fine. So Smart does a pretty good job in situations like that of putting himself above the fray. He's certainly, certainly not going to spike the football against Dan Mullen shortly after he was fired. And yet, 
you have reason to believe that Smart as a competitor likes the idea that he emerged as victorious in that competition, that in the SEC, college football in general, but the SEC specifically, it is a little bit of a zero-sum game. There's not enough success to go around, not enough recruiting wins. There's not enough elite players. There aren't enough wins on the field that when you get one, you are taking one from somebody else. And listen, if somebody's going to be on the unemployment line, then better to be that guy than me. You get the sense that Kirby pretty much feels that way. He almost certainly does. In fact, there are little moments here and there where he sort of lets it slip that, hey, he understands that if he wins enough, the other guy is going to get fired. In fact, you're going to go back to the, <laughs> the post-game press conference. I just think this is a very sinister thing that Smart said here in a good way. Uh, the post-game press conference after Georgia Tech in 2018. At the very end of the press conference, Smart was asked about the challenge of facing Paul Johnson. Remember him at Georgia Tech and that triple option offense? And Smart really laid it out in no uncertain terms about what happens if you do well enough. All of a sudden, you look over that opposing coach that maybe gave you a little bit of grief. Suddenly, he's not there anymore. This was a Smart after the Tech game in 2018, certainly acknowledging the fact that the loser in these rivalry games often does get fired. This was Kirby back then. So smart there says, listen, I don't love playing against the triple option, but it is what it is. Those are the cards you're dealt. <laughs> if you don't want to play against it, then beat the guy enough and suddenly he won't be there anymore. And lo and behold, that really is what happened to Paul Johnson. So not necessarily uh, uh, one of those things that Kirby shot away from at least saying there in that situation, which is, yeah, if I beat you enough, you are going to be gone. And Paul Johnson was gone from Georgia Tech. Dan Mullen was gone from Florida. Gus Malzahn, gone from Auburn. There was an anonymous coach quoted in the Athlon Sports preseason magazine a year ago, basically pointing the finger at a guy like Kirby Smart for the reason why Malzahn is out at Auburn. What the anonymous coach was quoted as saying is, the real reason Gus is out is not because Auburn fell behind Alabama. It's because they fell behind Clemson and Georgia and Florida. He says, is a guy from Boise State going to really fix that? Um, and... That's obviously a reference to uh, Brian Harson, and I think that's kind of a fair question here, and it does sort of lead you to what may be at stake here in 2022, that a level of success for Kirby Smart that really has been one of the big reasons why Auburn moved on from Gus Malzahn and Florida moved on from Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain before that and Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech and you know all, any number of coaches there at Tennessee, suddenly you're left to wonder, what about some of these rival coaches for UGA who also kind of find themselves in a precarious spot here in 2022? Could Kirby be the final nail for them once again? What about Brian Harson in Auburn? What if, uh, you know, Harson, who seems to be hanging on by a string, what if they just get manhandled by George again? Is this another rival coach that Kirby's going to kind of kick to the curb here? And I think it's very fair to ask that about Jeff Collins there at Georgia Tech. Now, in the case of Harson and Collins, Certainly Kirby alone uh, would not be the reason they get fired at this point in time. I'm not even quite so sure Tech even thinks that much more about George and Kirby Smart. They're so far ahead of the the race for success in college football. But it would be another example or maybe another pair of examples of rival coaches who've bit the dust while Kirby Smart's been the head coach there at UGA. And maybe that as much as anything really points to the success that George is having. It's not just hoisting national championship trophies. It's not just a ever-present force in the college football playoff debate. It's essentially rendered a lot of its rivalries 
kind of non-existent. A lot of the coaches who once you know thought they could go head to head with Smart, well now they're looking for new jobs and looking in many cases to get as far away from Kirby as they possibly can be. It really does speak to the level of success this program has enjoyed. And as you head towards 2022, being a rival coach on the other side of UGA, that's sort of proven not to be a very good place to be. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Starting at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Now, normally we start at 9.45 for our first in 15 on dognation.com and the Dog Nation app. But uh, to this week, because of vacation, we're just starting normally at 10, and happy to be bringing the show to you there on video. Look forward to getting you back to live comments again next week and all that of course we're on the radio at noon on athens sports radio 960 the ref as a podcast the apple player spotify the google player the world famous dog nation.com bunch of different ways for you to get in touch with the program we're very happy that you do that no matter how you uh, get here just happy to have you with us and a big thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of george for making it all possible you know they can equip your house when it comes to your foundation issues your waterproofing issues those are the kinds of problems they want to solve and take care of for you and we're very grateful for that because listen a lot of you know that home that you live in not only do you have a great emotional connection there but it's in many cases your most valuable asset it's your most uh, important investment and when something's wrong with your home all of that's threatened structural integrity of the place where you live that's serious stuff water can be an issue there so if you see examples of that creeping in when it rains in your basement your crawl space your garage something along those lines of those cracks in the walls that can be a sign of a foundation problem that's why you want to reach out to my friends at engineered solutions of georgia they're proud partners of uga they're longtime friends of ours here at dog nation daily they've also got a team of engineers on staff and no other foundation repair company in georgia can say that that's what they offer you the strength the expertise and that's why you want to lean on that when you reach out to engineered solutions of georgia phone number very easy to remember and easy to dial there as well in fact you should pick up the phone and do it right now Simply call 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now, and that'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, so it is a Tuesday for us. That means Connor Riley coming up in a moment. We'll do a Kroger Fresh Take with him. I'm looking forward to doing that. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse here for a moment. And along the lines of Georgia and its rivals, I think it's interesting to think about this for a moment, that in light of the fact that Dan Mullen isn't at Florida anymore, boy, isn't it amazing, you know, just how much has changed for the Georgia-Florida rivalry here in just a year's time? I mean, let's go back in time here just for a little bit. You know, this vacation week gives us a chance to to think back on some of that kind of stuff a moment. Last summer, going into what was thought to be another showdown between Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart, I mean, this was not only thought of by Georgia fans as the dog's biggest rivalry. That's clearly an idea that we've pushed for over and over again. Uh, This is also the kind of thing that was being recognized as maybe at the time the biggest rivalry in all of college football. Think about Bill Bender from the Sporting News who came on our show and basically said that very thing, that he thinks that going into last year, Georgia versus Florida, Mullen, the coach for the Gators at the time, Kirby Smart, that was the biggest show in town in terms of hated rivals at each other's throat, competing for the richest prize in college football. Amazing how much has changed. Uh, this is what Bill Bender, the sporting news rival, said on, or should say writer, said on Dog Nation Daily last year. Here's Bill. Here's Bill. If you had to ask me, what's the best game in college football right now? Florida, Georgia. Because it's, the division's on the line. They're the two best teams in the division by a lot. You've got two top ten coaches every year. 
and it's just a fun game. There's a lot of, and they like to chat a little bit, and that always adds to it. So I think for the foreseeable future, having Kirby and Dan Mullen seven and eight, that's not a coincidence. They, uh, they're part of the best game in college football, at least if I was ranking them. So it's interesting when he says having those two coaches seventh and eighth, what he means there was last year, that's where they were ranked on the list of the best coaches in college football. Well, since then, Kirby's obviously gone up with a bullet. Uh, he's now what, you know, second best on most of those lists, well ahead of where he was a year ago. And, you know, Dan Mullen's the, I guess what, the uh, <laughs> the eighth best coach in, uh, in, in, in Greensboro, Georgia, there in Greene County. So I, I don't know. That's kind of how that's changed. But it wasn't just Bill Bender from the Sporting News who was saying those kinds of things. You also last summer had Paul Feinbaum who was – on the radio station WJOX, echoing a similar sentiment that when it comes to stirring up his callers and stirring up his audience, that it used to be the Iron Bowl that did that. But going into last year, he said there was actually a kind of a new sheriff in town when it terms to really driving the college ball conversation, and it was Georgia, Florida. This is an example of how big this rivalry felt this time a year ago. Here's Feinbaum. Alabama-Auburn is no longer really the driving rivalry, I think, in, in, in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, because Everyone understands the reality of it. Nick Saban is going to you know, win 92.3% of the games or whatever. Uh, on, the, on my program, which you know, is, is a more of a SEC-centric show, if I want to just drop uh, some blood into the water and, and see sharks circling, it's, it's about Georgia or Florida. And it's vicious. So... Once again, that's Paul Feinbaum saying how big, he calls it vicious, that's how big the Georgia-Florida rivalry felt a year ago. So two quick takeaways on this. First of all, it's amazing just how quickly things can change that the vicious rivalry that Feinbaum describes, for now at least, sort of seems non-existent. Billy Napier doesn't have much of a personality yet in this rivalry, and Florida's a long way away from Georgia, which is now the reigning national champions. Things have certainly changed quite a bit in a year. But the other thing I'm left to wonder is, is how long would it take? And maybe more specifically, what would need to happen for Georgia, Florida to feel like a big rivalry game again this year? And to be frank, I I think it'd be kind of a long shot. I, I don't know that there's much that Florida could do this year to put itself on Georgia's radar. But that's not the same thing as saying they have no chance whatsoever. Now, Napier is a personality. Napier is a coach. I think there's still a lot we need to learn about that. But Florida's going to have its chances here a little bit. One of my favorite things to do this time of year is just to look at schedules. I just think paying attention to schedules and how teams, you know, look compared to who they're going to be playing and when they're going to be playing these games, I think that just gets pretty interesting. And there is no doubt there is an opportunity available for Florida here this season that's that's worth your attention. Like week one, Florida hosts Utah. Now, Utah is one of the odds-on favorites in the Pac-12 they're going to have a really pretty preseason ranking next their get name. But if you look at like FanDuel and some of the betting houses that have posted lines in that week one game, even though Utah's got more season-long expectations, better over-under number, more likely to win a conference title, things like that, Florida is actually favored against Utah week one. And Florida's also a slight favorite week two against Kentucky, even though Kentucky uh, you know, is getting some preseason top 25 chatter and a lot of this of course, even before Chris Rodriguez, the running backs kind of run into some issues here. But even before that, even though Kentucky's kind of getting some preseason top 25 type chatter, Florida is still the point spread favorite against Kentucky there in that week two game. 
After that, you're talking about South Florida. You're talking about at Tennessee. That's certainly a a, a game in which Florida will not be a point spread favorite, but also the Gators going back over the course of a number of coaches have had a lot of success against the Vols. It's Eastern Washington after that. It's a pushover. Missouri, once again, a home game for Florida again on October the 8th. And then the week, or I should say the game before Florida plays Georgia, they also get a chance to host LSU and first-year coach Brian Kelly. That's another game that Florida would have uh, a good chance of winning. It's an off week after that, and then it's Georgia. Now, the odds are Florida's going to lose a handful of these games. They may even lose a lot of them. The fact is I don't believe Florida's going to be very good here this season. But there's also a chance with a lot of home games prior to playing Georgia that Florida finds a way to rack up some wins there, too. That it's not inconceivable that Georgia-Florida could feel like a big game when these two teams play. Florida probably not very good, but the schedule, even though it kind of looks you know, like it's going to have some grizzly bears, the truth is uh, Utah is traveling a long way to play that game. LSU is uh, with a first-year coach and a very much eroded culture from the team that won the national championship a couple of seasons ago. Tennessee gets a chance to host Florida, but we still don't quite yet know how good Tennessee is going to be as of yet. There's at least still some possibility that Florida puts itself together a little bit of a record prior to playing Georgia, and that some of the juice the cocktail party was thought to have before last season, maybe some of that is restored by the time these two teams play for this upcoming year there as well. It's fun to think about these schedules. It's kind of fun to think about who's going where and who's doing what. And for Florida, interesting to consider when will they be good enough to make it matter between georgia and florida again one point in time this was the hot rival in the sec writers and hosts and analysts were saying that themselves can it feel that way again the responsibility certainly rests with billy napier and the florida gators to make that true that is around the doghouse this is dog nation daily presented by esog lots still to do before we're done But for the moment, on everything related to Georgia as of now, let's check in with Connor Riley. We call it a Kroger Fresh Day. Glad to have him and all of you with us here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, say hello to Connor Riley, Kroger Fresh Take with him. I certainly appreciate his time. A little bit of a vacation pre-record, of course, for us, but a great chance to talk about everything related to Georgia football and its landscape in the SEC and around the country with Connor here right now. Connor, thanks for your time. I hope you're doing well. No problem. Glad you're able to get some time off this week and glad we're still able to turn out some Dog Nation content. That's exactly right. One of the things I was just talking about before you joined us, and I'm curious of your opinion on this, and maybe you just haven't had much time to think about this as of yet, but have you considered the scenario for Florida here for this upcoming season? I played some audio of what people were saying with the Georgia-Florida rivalry a year ago, and listen, there were plenty of people last year who were saying, hey, biggest rivalry in college football, Paul Feinbaum said it was the thing that generated more action among his callers than anything else, including the Iron Bowl. That was what was being said this time a year ago, and it seems like in the aftermath of George winning the national championship and pulling away from the Gators, Dan Mullen getting fired, that a lot of that has you know kind of changed. All of a sudden now this Georgia-Florida rivalry with a brand new coach in place with the Gators, it doesn't have much of an identity right now. What do you think the outlook is for Georgia-Florida feeling big again? I mean, obviously on this show, we don't want the Gators to be good, but we did enjoy Georgia-Florida feeling like a really big game. How big of a game do you think that stands to feel like in 2022? And how long before it feels like a big, intense rivalry once again, you think? 
Yeah, for all of Dan Mullen's shortcomings, I thought he did a really good job of making that Georgia-Florida game big. And we know Kirby Smart is going to, I think, treat that game with you know the way a lot of the fan base wants it to be. It wants it to be that big rivalry game, the thing that makes college football so special. But, you know, obviously, I think Mullen maybe put too much of an emphasis on Georgia, or Georgia, the shadow of it, loomed too large over his program because I think it became pretty clear, you know, Georgia became Florida Super Bowl and that's not what Florida Super Bowl should be. This is a program that, you know, as much as we don't like to say this, should be competing for national championships on a year-in, year-out basis. They have the access to talent, the facilities, the resources to make that a reality. And that just wasn't – it was very clearly not going to happen under Dan Mullen. And I, I, this rivalry is going to change a lot under Bill and Napier because I do think Napier obviously comes from the Saban school and, and he is going to, I, I, I think, make Florida perhaps seen as a more legitimate – team in that aspect some of the last mickey mouse things that you sort of saw under dan mullen i don't think that will happen under an apier but there's also part of me that wonders as well you know i think this rivalry is going to change a lot because you know, we, we've talked this, about this before we don't know when this happens but you know with the contract in jacksonville and, and what this game looks like in that city I, I think we both agree that you know this this rivalry is not long for the city of jacksonville and they're meeting in in destin florida this week talking about future schedules this is purely conjecture just throwing this out there but we know the SEC schedule is going to change in 2020 uh, 2025 whether it be a one permanent rival or three permanent rivals you know with the way the contract is set up I could see a world where 2025 that becomes a home and home with Georgia to try to make the rest of their SEC schedule a little bit more easier to stomach and that's going to have huge ramifications on this future of this rivalry so as you point out, it was a bright, hot sun of a rivalry a year ago, but it really seems like it burned out really quickly. And now with Billy Napier with the Florida program, it's probably going to be down this year. It, it, it just it lost so much of its luster so quickly with Mullen moving on and, and sort of them bringing in a more polished CEO coach in Billy Napier. And there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, with what this rivalry looks like going forward. I think you're bringing up a lot of good points when you say that. I've also been spending some time lately looking at the Florida schedule for the upcoming season. And this kind of pains me to say, Connor, but it's not impossible to think that Florida could actually end up being better than I'm giving them credit for. I mean, we did see first-year coach in the SEC last year kind of exceed expectations. And while I don't think this is going to happen for the Gators this year, you know, playing Utah week one, Utah is a contender in the Pac-12, but Florida's actually favored right now in some of the early look-ahead lines for that opening week matchup against the Utes. The following uh, against Kentucky, even before you kind of bring in the status of Chris Rodriguez, very much up in the air as you and I are speaking right now, Florida's also favored against Kentucky at home. The truth is, Florida only plays one road game prior to playing the game against Georgia. That's at Tennessee. That's a game I expect the Vols to win, but there's still a little bit of unknown factor about Tennessee here this year, too. The LSU game on October 15th is a game I actually probably favor Florida in a bit because the LSU roster is a little bit of a mess right now. I'm not saying this is going to happen. In fact, I don't think it will. But there is not an obvious loss on the Florida schedule prior to playing Georgia on October the 29th. They'll lose one, probably more than one of those games. But there isn't an obvious loss there. I mean, there's a chance the Florida record, at least, looks a little prettier coming into Jacksonville than maybe I've kind of given it credit for over the course of the last couple of months. Right. That's the benefit of Florida, A, getting to play in the SEC East, where even for all the recruiting stumbles that Mullen had, they were still pretty consistently the second best recruiting team uh, in the SEC East under his tenure. And so 
in, in games against you know Kentucky, in games against Utah, in games even against Tennessee, based on the recruiting you know wins that they have picked up, they're going to have a talent advantage, even if you know they've cycled through some players there. And, and so you know, again, I, I think you do a great job of outlining. You know, they've got real four toss-up games: Kentucky, Florida, Utah, and Tennessee. Three of those games are at home, and they might not win all of them, but you would imagine that they're going to at least probably go two and two in those games. And it's a, I think, how we talk about Florida: which two of those games do they win, and maybe even the order that they win them in. If they lose those first two against, you know, Kentucky and Utah in back-to-back weeks there to start the season, even though both those games at home man, things could get sour for Billy Napier really quickly in year one, whereas if he does win those first two games, maybe gets a little momentum going, you know, maybe they do pull the upset at Tennessee because I still have a number of questions about what we see from them and especially the way that they play. And and so it's very easy to sort of see how how their season goes basically on those first two weeks. and Even more than that, that first week against Utah, because as you point out, Florida has more natural talent than, than Utah does. That's just comes with one of those teams located in Utah and one of those teams located in Florida. And Utah played in the Rose Bowl last year. I think Kyle Winningham is a fantastic head coach and one of the better ones in college football. But Utah's going to need to play really well in that game to win on the road in Florida. And and Florida enters that game with house money. Sure, they might be favored, but that's a game every national media analyst is going to go out there and pick Utah. And yeah. They're going to be able to play loose. They're going to be able to play free. And if they're able to do that and pull, you know, based on AP, uh, AP poll, media poll, an upset, and I use that in air quotes there, I, I think that's really going to change quickly the tenor of how people feel about this Florida team and this Florida season. But you lose, you start the season back-to-back games against physical teams in Utah, Kentucky, and you lose both of those. Man, I, I could really take the wind out of your sails quickly. Something else I talked about before you joined us is is that a couple of situations this year, similar to what Kirby Smart's dealt with in the past, rival coaches kind of hanging on by a thread here. Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, I would think, I would think he's going to be on most of the most likely to be fired list when you think about the struggles that he's had there in Atlanta. Brian Harson at Auburn survived this past offseason. I don't think that guarantees him much for the future. I think he's in kind of a precarious spot there as well. And you look at the Kirby Smart tenure, you know, Tennessee's changed coach with three times. Florida's changed coaches twice. Uh, Auburn's fired Gus Malzahn. That being a rival coach to Kirby Smart has not been a very good thing to be here. <laughs> How much do you think Kirby Smart enjoys that? Or is it just kind of the natural byproduct of when you're building yourself up, zero-sum game, you're taking food off somebody else's table? Or do you think that Smart secretly does enjoy the idea that he has vanquished so many coaches of programs that would consider themselves rivals to UGA? I mean, I think we feel safe in saying we know he felt good about what happened. Not, not good about a coach getting fired, obviously, but he felt good about winning at the expense of Dan Mullen and Gus Malzahn. We, we, we have it on pretty good authority that he was not exactly fans of those two coaches there. And so I think he likes that he's, owned, he's straight up owned Auburn. He's found a way to get the better of the Florida rivalry there. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech, after losing in year one to Paul Johnson, uh, Jeff Collins has made that, that series completely non competitive. I think in the last two years, Georgia, the two years they played, rather, Georgia won by a combined 90 points. And it's very clear that George Collins, Jeff Collins, excuse me, is not fit to run that program. And, and Brian Harson just, you know, never really got a fair shake. And, and if, if that Alabama game goes differently and they're able to get a stop there at the end, uh, I think Auburn's offseason looks very, very different. But with the SEC schedule they have to play and they have to come to Georgia this year and they have to come to Alabama, 
that's just a tough road to hoe for him there. And, and so, you know, I, I do think when, when you look at programs like an Auburn, when you look at programs like a Florida, programs that are realistically able to compete with Georgia, or at least traditionally have been able to do so, and you see Georgia having as much success as they have, it makes it that much harder at those current schools. That's why I think you've seen the turnover that you've seen at Florida. I think you've seen, you know, Gus Malzahn going out, Brian Harson coming in, and Brian Harsley quickly at, a, at exiting stage right there. Because when you see one of your rivals having such success, the level that Georgia has had, I, I think it makes it easy. And I think, you know, a, a big reason Mark Rick is no longer the head coach at Georgia was because Georgia fans saw what Alabama had turned into. And while Georgia and Alabama are not rivals, I think Georgia people saw that, hey, we have the resources and ability to go and do that. We, we need to go out and do that. Georgia very fortunately nailed the hire in Kirby Smart. Florida and Auburn have not yet been able to do that and find their sort of own version of Kirby Smart. So I want to finish with this. And by the way, it's our Kroger uh, Fresh Day with Connor Riley here today. And it's always great to have Connor on here to do that. It's also great to enjoy the great fun things happening around the uh, summer and Kroger obviously a big part of that and you can get big savings right now on the stuff you need to enjoy summer more about 40 percent off Kroger on patio furniture summer decor summer toys so much more check it out at Kroger you can stop by and look for those tags in store to save right away or you can start your shopping experience online at Kroger.com if you want to learn more on that so the kick I've been kind of been on this week Connor is I believe that this year's playoff debate may be wilder than any before. And I'm sure I probably said this in the past, but I think this year it really is true. This is going to be the craziest playoff debate of all time for a few reasons, and I'll give you a chance to comment on this. You know, last year you could make a case the SEC title game didn't matter at all because both Georgia and Alabama were going to make the playoff. This year, even if that's true once again, the result's going to matter because the winner of that game gets a chance to play a playoff game in Atlanta, which is obviously a lot better than the alternative, especially considering the national championship game this year is in Los Angeles. I think you've got this weird legitimate feud going on between the sec and the other leagues but with the future of playoff expansion is going to look like you at least have the looming possibility that a third sec team could be in the playoff discussion if you want to think about texas a&m and the validation that's going to come from its very high i'm assuming preseason ranking connor i think i'm already kind of getting girded up for this that it's going to be a pretty intense playoff debate and i think there's going to be I don't know, a lot of mystery and intrigue about how easy it is to put both Georgia and Alabama back in this thing again for an upcoming season. We're still a long way away from it coming to fruition, but what are your early thoughts on it? Well, I think if we go back and dig through the Dog Nation daily annals of recent past history, I think we'd find you saying there's skepticism that they're going to put two SEC teams in the college football playoff once again. Sure. Certainly, if one loses the um, – SEC championship game. You've at least been consistent on that. And I, I certainly get where the line of thinking there comes into it. I think so much of it depends on what happens elsewhere around college football. And, and looking at, you know, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, there aren't two obvious title contenders in that conference. You don't really know what Oklahoma and Oregon are going to be. And even I'll include USC there. They don't think they have the offensive line to compete. You know, what they're going to look like in year one with new coaches there, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is clearly trying to turn around an oil tanker in Texas and get them competitive. I don't believe Utah has the sort of championship-level depth to get through a season. So you can cross sort of two conferences off there, I think, in terms of teams that aren't going to have playoff contenders. The winner of the Big Ten is probably going to get into the college football playoff. I I feel, you know, there's enough, whether it be Ohio State, whether Michigan makes a run, but whether a team like Wisconsin or Iowa can, can string together victories, we'll see there. I feel like, you know, you can feel good penciling one of those teams in there. 
the ACC is going to be really interesting, and I'll include Notre Dame here, though. First-year head coach, Marcus Freeman, I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs in year one, especially with the schedules they have. But for me, if, if the SEC is going to get two teams in, that, that has to mean that the ACC really beats up on each other. And I, I do think there's some talent there in the ACC. You have some veteran teams, a team like an NC State. I actually kind of like Clemson as an undervalued bet here. If they can get anything at all out of their offense, I think there may be a team that could have a defense similar to what Georgia had last year where there is so much overwhelming talent on there, even in a first-year coordinator in in West Goodwin. I do think that there's you know potential for Clemson in a, in a path for Clemson to get back into the college football playoff. But I, I just think so much of this college football playoff debate we know going forward that, yeah, the SEC is going to have talent and they're going to have the teams capable of playing in a college football playoff. And so if Georgia gets to the end of the regular season with one loss, if Alabama gets to the end of the regular season with one loss, we've seen year in and year out now that those teams have the requisite talent to go out and win a college football playoff semifinal. And so if they're going through the SEC gauntlet, I do believe that they've at least now shown they're going to get the benefit of the doubt, even with the members changing on the committee. I think so much of it, if there are going to be two teams, is can the ACC sort of hold its weight mm-hmm. and can the other Power Five conferences produce enough one-loss champions? Because that's what you have to see. And last year, you know, uh, Oklahoma State maybe could have possibly gotten in there. I'm still skeptical that a one-loss Oklahoma State has the prestige to get into a college football yeah. playoff, but. We saw an unbeaten Cincinnati get in there, and really, again, like if if there's a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Big Ten champion, the SEC is probably not going to get two teams in. But if one of those things doesn't happen, and I don't think there's going to be a one-loss Pac-12 champion, I don't think there's going to be a one-loss Big 12 champion, I don't think Notre Dame is going to go undefeated, and we've seen for Notre Dame to make the playoffs, that's what they have to do. I, I think the door is very clearly going to be open for two SEC teams once again. Connor, great stuff. It's our Kroger Fresh Take. Thanks for making time for us. Hope you enjoy your week there as well. We'll look forward to talking to you again live in this format again very soon. Yep. As always, have a pleasure, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Always great to catch up with Connor Riley, doing a Kroger Fresh Take with him there. That's a lot of fun. It's fun to keep the conversation going with you right now. As we get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, that means you're thinking about your own summer vacation as I'm taking mine there as well. And hopefully you're thinking about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation when you do just that. Maybe for you it's that three or that four-night stay. Maybe you're busy this summer. you got kids doing all kinds of stuff. Or maybe you just want to kind of find out if cruising's right for you. Well, if that be the case, experiencing one of these great three- or four-night sailings, maybe going out of Port Canaveral, just down the road from Orlando, that's what we were on back in April, that port, uh, on one of those four-night sailings. That could be great for you. In fact, Independence of the Seas, that's the ship that we were just on, Mariner of the Seas, also going out of Port Canaveral, doing those three, four-night sailings. It's a great chance to experience some of what Royal Caribbean has to offer. It stops by, and you can see Perfect Day Coco Cay. But you can also experience some of the great onboard entertainment, you know, whether it be the Broadway-style shows or so many of the other cool amenities that make a Royal Caribbean vacation so much fun. Uh, you can check all that out. In fact, our, our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you with it. Their website, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. So we started something for you yesterday, and I think it worked pretty well. We're going to continue that for you here today as we look at each team in the SEC other than Georgia, and we're going to ask one big question about each of those teams. It's kind of a way of kind of doing a little bit of a season preview 
I think it's fun. We did it yesterday with what Florida and A and M and uh, somebody else yesterday too, uh, Kentucky, I guess. Today, I want to look at three more teams here for a moment. I want to start with the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, there is no rhyme or reason to the order in which we're doing these, to be completely honest. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to try to do them all by the time we get to Friday. And here's my question for Ole Miss. Not a lot of questions you could ask about the Rebels, better than maybe some thought they were going to be a year ago, trying to build on that with a new cast of characters this year. It's one of those names in particular that I want to kind of focus in on. How good do you think Zach Evans is going to be in the SEC at running back? This is a pretty talented player, and the truth is, spending some time at TCU, he had some moments there for the Horn Frogs. And obviously, we know what a big deal, including this show, we made about Evans as a recruit going back years ago, and a lot of that ended up being a little bit weird, and you're left to wonder, well, what's going on there, and how did all this happen? And how good would he have been if he even came to a place like Georgia? Well, we'll get at least some answer that question if you see him this year for the Rebels in terms of what he's able to do in that offense. We think of Lane Kiffin as being kind of the passing game guy, and that is for good reason. But listen, he's also had success with running backs in the past, including Jerry Neely with Ole Miss a year ago. And now Evans gets a chance to function in that offense here right now, and he could have big things in store for him. This is a you know an Ole Miss team that certainly is pretty fun to watch, and the presence of Evans should satisfy a curiosity for a lot of UGA fans that wonder what he might would have looked like had he been in the SEC with the dogs years ago. By the way, speaking of the dogs, the other Bulldogs in the SEC, another question or another team that we have a big question for, and this one also relates to UGA someone there as well. Is Mississippi State going to be a tough opponent for Georgia? When I look at the one, you know, small handful of games on the Georgia schedule where I think UGA could be challenged at all, my mind, my eyes continue to kind of gravitate back towards some of those true road games and one of those is in Starkville it's late in the season it's kind of a back-to-back road game situation there for UGA kind of in the midst of a little bit of a tough stretch for Georgia and maybe Mississippi State you know kind of has something for UGA the truth is is that you know very different kind of Mississippi State team actually played Georgia pretty closely closer than it was supposed to back here in 2020 the game that was remembered for the debut of uh, JT Daniels is there a chance that Mississippi State's also capable of playing Georgia close when Georgia travels there for this upcoming season there as well? Will Rogers at quarterback obviously would seemingly give the Bulldogs a chance in a lot of the games uh, that it's going to play. But if you are looking for that one game here this upcoming year where maybe Georgia's challenged, maybe a road game at Mississippi State is as close as you're going to get. I mean, Georgia's still going to be by virtue of like the point spread, you know, a couple of touchdowns, slightly maybe more than that against Mississippi State. But it's also one of those spots where, hey, maybe be careful uh, a bit if you're looking for that challenge, a true road game in the SEC, all those Cowboys going Klinga. Uh, that might be the place that you look there for that. One final big question for today, and we'll come back and do some more of these throughout the rest of the week there too. It involves the Missouri Tigers. And my only question for Missouri, and I mentioned JT Daniels a moment ago, would JT Daniels have been better going to Missouri? You know, when Daniels ultimately made his decision to go to West Virginia, it was thought that he was choosing among three schools, three schools that he visited before uh, ultimately picking the Mountaineers, one of those obviously being the school that he chose, West Virginia, the other being Missouri, along with Oregon State. And, you know, when Eli Drinkwitz got going in 2020 as the uh, Tigers coach, I thought he had some pretty fun moments in his first season and kind of brought a little bit of a personality to the league. And, you know, for the most part, I think Missouri kind of became a non-entity a bit in 2021. So maybe from that standpoint, maybe JT made the right choice. And as far as I know, he did make the right choice, obviously pairing back with, 
you know an offensive play caller that he knows well uh currently in morgantown west virginia but you know being in the sec playing a higher profile level of game which would have had a chance to do in uh, missouri would that have been a better fit pretty clearly missouri was shopping around for a transfer quarterback even took one you know on the heels of uh, daniels choosing west virginia but staying in the sec playing in more games that would have gotten more attention would that ultimately be something that Daniels would have enjoyed more? I guess we'll never really know that. And for JT, this is probably one of those kind of show me type years where, listen, a guy that has spent a good portion of the last three years, unfortunately, through no fault of his own, just not playing football. And he's been hurt. He's been injured and clearly showing that he has the ability to stay healthy and be effective when he is healthy. That's obviously what this upcoming season is about for JT, and he chooses Morgantown as the place that he wants to do that. Could have gone to Missouri, and certainly the Tigers would have been a much more interesting team had JT been there. We'll make that our SEC through as we go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I told you yesterday, for our Golden Shoe, one of the things we're doing is, for this week, we're kind of going back into the archives, and we're bringing out some best of Golden Shoes. In some of these cases, I don't quite have full credit to give to the person who originally sent this. I don't know how I've lost that over the years, but I guess we kind of have. We had a good one yesterday, me and a beer. That's a blast all the way back to 2020. And I believe the golden shoe we showed you was the debut of the uh, golden shoe in and of itself. Yeah, that was the one from yesterday. How about me there in the beard? Also for today, how about Tennille Calvino? Do y'all remember when Tennille, in honor of what used to be the Facebook top badges, which I don't even think they have top badges on top fan badges, on Facebook anymore. That was always a very hot topic. Who was a top fan and who wasn't? Tennille had made the Dog Nation top fan badge hats, which I thought was great. She's a great commenter of ours on a number of our comment sections, and she's had some fun with that. Uh, so we'll give a shout out to Tennille and make her a golden shoe winner today for a great look back at Dog Nation daily history. By the way, Gators, no history for them to celebrate, not in a long time. It's been 4,888 days since they have won. A national championship and 144 days from right now dogs back in jacksonville getting another win against those lousy stinking gators that's our gator Andrew countdown thanks for being here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia we will see you back here again tomorrow